we are stepping today into the season of Advent, as we've said. And uh, Advent is this season of expectation and longing. Uh, And so already this morning, you've noticed for sure a few different elements to our service. And those will be with us through the rest of the four weeks and Christmas Eve uh, that make up Advent. Uh, And the reality is that all of these elements are simply just intended to sort of help us keep our focus on looking forward to both the first coming, the first advent of Jesus at Christmas time, and then the second advent. Uh, and especially for us in the Alliance, we talk about Jesus, our coming King. Uh, and so this season has some significance for us as well. Uh, so the word advent, some of you may have heard this from me before, but there's a number of uh, folks that are newer here. And so I don't know uh, what we all are familiar with. And so I'm just going to walk you through some of what advent means. And we're going to look at uh, text from Romans. Uh, but advent literally means arrival. And so during the, this time of year, we are very much uh, aware of sort of that expectation of arrival, right? Some of you did this at Thanksgiving. Some of you were the object of it, and some of you were the one who was waiting. Uh, but the Advent season is another se- is a season where we stand right in the middle of two realities. We enter into the Advent season, and we're reminded that there was an arrival. We walk in real time with the people of Israel uh, through these themes that we have in Advent of hope, love, joy, and peace. Uh, there was a coming that already happened. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And so as Christians, we stand right here looking back at what has already happened, But we also look forward to what will happen in the future, that there was an arrival that already happened in the birth of the Savior, and there is an arrival that's coming that will happen in the second coming, the second advent of Jesus. So here we sit. We're in the midst of this tension. Uh, We sang this this morning. We are a people who are uh, like a bride waiting for her groom. We're filled with longing. We're filled with expectation. We look back in remembrance, and we look forward with longing and expectation. Now, um, here's kind of what I want you to hear uh, in all of this. Advent is not a requirement, right? It's just a season that we observe. It's really just basically uh, an, a developed idea, a good idea over a long period of time that other followers of Jesus has created as a way to sort of help us push back against the pull of this world that would tell us that we need to get everything we can and get it right now. Or as my grandpa used to say, get all you can and can all you get, right? Uh, but also with two-day shipping, immediately, right? And Advent says, no, we're going to sit in the waiting because we believe that God is there in the tension of the waiting and he is what we want. So that's what Advent's a reminder of. So it's not a requirement. It's an invitation. Think of the seasons of the church year like a Bible study plan, right? The plan itself is not the point. And it was made by humans, and you can discard it if you want to, but there might be something good in it. And so there's no guilt or shame. It's an invitation. Your life and who you are, we've said this a bunch of times, is simply the culmination of everything that you take in and the practices that you walk in. And so if you want your life to be a life of hope, peace, joy, and love, right, the themes of Advent, which we would all probably agree with, there is a path that will take you there. Uh, And what I'm saying is that incorporating something like Advent and more broadly the church year might just be a time to begin to walk that path. Uh, And so with that in mind, I set up a text message that you probably got about five minutes ago. Uh, Some of you, did you, yeah, see? I set up a text message to go out just a few minutes ago with a link to the Advent guide for this year. Uh, And I thought, is that appropriate to do when I'm up preaching? And I thought, they're definitely going to remember it if I do it like that. So... Uh, If you get the text messages, uh, you should have gotten one a few minutes ago. Of course, there's a ton of other great Advent 
uh, guides out there. I've, I use some of them. I, get, I think I'm up to like four or five emails a day now during Advent of just Advent guides that people have sent me and stuff. And all of them are awesome. Um, but this one is coming from an Alliance author and poet. Uh, and so I thought it would be extra cool to kind of walk through that. And that's where the texts uh, from our readings and stuff are coming from. Uh, and so I also printed out a few copies for you uh, folks that really enjoy dead tree technology. Those are for you. Uh, the cover is different to save ink. It's the same guide though, okay? And then also parents, I wanna encourage you, uh, if you're like me, you have this aspiration that you're gonna disciple your children every day and you're gonna have quiet time with them and then you know life happens. So I just wanna encourage you to maybe Advent can be a time when you hit the reset button a little bit and once a week on Sunday nights, I just wanna encourage you uh, to think about making this little celebration part of your family time. What we do, what we try to do, is just take a few minutes during dinner time and just light an Advent candle at home. Uh, if you don't have an Advent wreath, find four candles in your house, that'll work. Pull out the white emergency candles if that's what you gotta do. But find four candles or go buy four, uh, make a little wreath, uh, and then work through the devotional on a kid's level. So yes, parents, that means you're going to have to do a little bit of work in order to disciple your own children, but that's the call for us as parents. So uh, knowing how squirmy kids are, I also printed out some coloring pages. Now, I know some of you adults are looking at this and thinking that coloring page looks pretty awesome for de-stressing. Okay, kids get to take these first, and then if there's any left, you can have one, okay? There's there's a, there's a few of these printed out. I will happily send this to you if you want them. They do look pretty fun, though. Um, and so all this stuff is at the resource center out there, that wooden uh, sort of um, paneled area by the door when you come in. There's a big stack of the Advent guides and a little stack of the coloring pages. So grab those, uh, and, and you can uh, practice Advent along uh, with us for the next four weeks or so. Um, as the years continue to absolutely fly by, which is, I cannot believe it's November 27th. It, like, I feel like I should be, okay, let me look at the spring calendar for 2022. I don't know what happened. Uh, but I'm realizing that this looking back and ahead thing is like a big part of what life is. That's just like kind of the whole thing, right? This time of year really emphasizes that we look back on those fond Christmas memories. How many of you got fond Christmas memories that you look back on? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry for some of you that didn't raise your hand. Um, but we also look forward with great expectation to what this year will bring, right? I'm in the season of life where I've got a little one who's just realizing like that Christmas is fun. She loves it when the lights come on in the house and, you know, it's all fun. Um, and and we, still, we still have the wonder and the joy of childhood Christmas stuff going on. So I really look forward to that. Um, I've told this story before, but for me, one of the ways I think about this feeling of longing and expectations to think about when I was a kid and my grandparents would come visit us. Uh, they'd come from Rockford, Illinois. I lived in Southern California as a kid. And I remember at, uh, as a kid, my dad's parents coming to visit and I would wait for grandpa's white Chevy van to come, Astro van to come around the corner, right? I could look down the street, see when it was coming around the corner. And that feeling of expectation and longing is very real in those moments. And that's kind of the feeling, the thread that runs through Advent. Many of you probably have memories like that, um, but I also think you probably have memories when those expectations didn't work out. Uh, a couple of years ago, especially, right? We all went through it. We had a bunch of expectations and then somebody got COVID or we couldn't because of this or whatever. And so we're remembering those. And the way to think about that is that we put our hope into things and those things leak and the hope comes out and it doesn't 
last. And so I remember one year as a kid, it was Christmas time. I got this package from that same grandpa in the mail, right? And it said, don't open till Christmas. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what is it? Grandpa, oh my, it looks so awesome. And, and so I'm just going crazy. What's wondering in the box? The expectation's killing me. I have all these ideas. What's it going to be? And I can't wait for Christmas morning when I can finally tear this thing open and get my sweet presents. So Christmas morning comes, run to the living room, presents under the tree. First thing I want to open before Santa presents, any of that stuff, I want to open the present from grandpa open the present from grandpa. It's a framed picture of grandpa. I'm like, for real, grandpa, this is what you, this is it, right? And then, because I was a child, I didn't go slow enough, there was an envelope with some other stuff from grandpa, right? Some cash money in it. And so all was well. I still actually have that picture. Uh, now, whether or not you have that kind of story uh, from a Christmas past, I think we can all identify with putting your hopes into something. Longing, waiting, hoping, eagerly anticipating what this will be only at the end to be disappointed or, uh, you know, it, it didn't work out the way you thought, you let down. And so that story of grandpa's picture is kind of a microcosm that can tell bigger stories in our lives, right? Of hopes that didn't come through. Uh, it, it's a misplaced hope. Uh, I've done it. I'm doing it now. I probably don't even realize it. You're doing it now. You're going to find out when that hope gets uh, let down. There are things and people and situations that we are placing our hope in that ultimately will fail us. And we know this from experience, but I think God put hope in us. And so we keep hoping in things and we just put it in the wrong place. For some of us, we're putting our hopes in a person or an event that's coming up or in a system or in an ideology or a government or something. We're putting it in things or what we project onto people. We're putting it in things like success or our future life or whatever that next milestone is that you're going to get to and then go, well, it's the next milestone, right? Uh, and so we're placing our hopes in a thousand different places. And so think about where you and I put our hope. Think about it. Think about where you and I are putting things in hopes that it's just going to kind of work out a certain way, that it's going to fill us up, it's going to satisfy us, it's going to satisfy some aching or a longing in our souls. I mean, right, why do we look forward to like this time of year so much? There's like this kind of almost unexplainable, mysterious ache inside of us that wants to be satisfied, and we kind of put our hopes on things like this time of year and gathering together. And some of that does get satisfied, but not all the way. And so the reality is that all the containers that we place our hope in this side of heaven are going to leak to some degree, right? That hope is not going to last. And so the question I just want to answer this morning is if everything leaks hope, then who or what can hold my hope? And so if you think about that word, about that word hope, it's a word that's part of our daily language. We use it a lot, right? Think about the vocabulary we use. Hope it stops raining soon. Uh, hope the in-laws leave soon. I would never say that. Uh, hope the holiday pounds will just shed right off of me, uh, right? Hope I don't overspend, too late. Uh, hope the kids adjust to, go to going to school. Hope they go back to school quick. Why are they not in school, right? We hope, we hope, we hope. We use it all the time. And this time of year right now, looking forward to Christmas, a lot of us are hoping for a nice Christmas, a nice New Year's break, whatever it is. And in the scriptures, this word is actually used over 200 times. As you begin to pull the, this, this word out, you see that it's used Throughout the Bible, and it can be summarized something like this. Hope is a confident expectation in the future. It's a confident expectation in the future. 
It's like a contagious enthusiasm for what's going to come. That's what hope in the scriptures are. The idea of hope is that you're looking forward to the future with enthusiasm, with confidence, with expectation that there's a blessing on the other end of this. And so hope is a good thing. Don't let anyone ever demonize hope. Hope is a good thing. So then during the season of Advent, we ask the question, well, who or what can I put my hope in, right? That's what we want to try to answer. So if you've got a Bible, open to Romans chapter 15. And we're really just going to look at one verse. So Paul, the apostle, writes this letter to the Christians in Rome. It's basically considered his magnum opus. If you want your brain to hurt, read Romans. Try to figure out everything in there. Uh, Even Peter said, "Eh, some of that stuff is tough to read. Um, And so it's his crown jewel. It's sort of his theological treatise. uh, And it's it's a masterpiece. It's it's an incredible letter. And so in the book of Romans, I'm going to give you a really fast outline. Uh, You didn't know you were coming for a Romans overview today, but here we go. Uh, Paul outlines through chapters 1 through 11 sort of a bedrock of theology. Sort of lays down a foundation. He begins to talk about all of us being condemned before the Lord, but that this good and gracious God has made a way for us when there was no way for us. He talks about promises given to Abraham. In chapter 5, he talks about justification. In chapter 6 and 7, he talks about sanctification, growing more and more into what God has declared us to be after we are justified. In chapter 8, he talks about the end game, glorification. And then he talks about God calling people to himself. And so he's just laying out sort of beautiful truths of salvation, of how you become part of God's family. And in chapter 12, he turns then and talks about how these aren't just truths that you just think about. Uh, They're not just some books on a shelf kind of ideas, but they're actually ideas that work themselves out in your life, in your daily living. So he's going to do that chapters 12, 13, 14, 15. And then in chapter 16, he closes the letter with some closing remarks and some personal greetings. And so at the start of chapter 15, where we're going to look in the first 13 verses, Paul is laying out the promises given to the Jews and the Gentiles. Gentiles is you and me, right? And he basically ends his letter in verse 13 of chapter 15. And it's like in this moment, Paul has just penned through the power of the Holy Spirit and the inspiration of God, an unbelievable doctrinal treatise. And he's laid out this compelling, this beautiful, rich theology of everything that God has done for us in Christ. And then he talks about how they work themselves out. And then it's almost as if Paul sets down the pen, he breathes out, and he sort of says a prayer for the people he's writing to uh, by the Holy Spirit's foreknowledge for you and for me as well. Romans 15, 13 is sort of like a benediction. In fact, we're going to use it today as a benediction. It's a prayer. It's Paul's hope for those who would read this letter. It's Paul's hope, that the ch- hope for the church that he's writing to. Verse 13, here's what he says. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So let's just break this down sort of phrase by phrase. May the God of hope. And so if you walk away with this idea in your head, mission accomplished for today. God is both the source and the supplier of our hope. He's the source and he's the supplier. You see this right out of the gate where the Apostle Paul says, may the God of hope, right? He's declaring something about the very essence, about the very nature of who God is. 
God is not just the inspirer of hope. He's the source of hope. He doesn't just give a little bit of hope out. It describes the essence of who he is in his personhood, who God actually is. Right? It's not just that God is giving hope. It's descriptive of his nature. He is the God of hope. This, this is a beautiful truth about uh, who God is. And, and, and the beautiful truth about that reality is that hope is not based on probabilities, but it's based on promises who are made by the God of hope, who both cannot lie, as we see, but also has the power to come through with his promises. Uh, I don't know if you've ever made a promise that then you couldn't carry out because something happened out of your control, right? But that doesn't happen to God. When he makes a promise, he makes creation work to make his promise happen. That's who God is. And he also can't lie, as we'll see in a minute. And so all the hope that you and I have here at this earthly level, all these misplaced hopes, are based on probabilities, aren't they? Think about it. I think I have a really good shot at this promotion. That's my probability. I th- I'm going to put my hope in that. I think if I put this much away and it grows at this much interest, then I should have this type of nest egg when it's all said and done. That's probabilities. All of that is based on probabilities, whether it's a person or a thing, a system, your spouse, whatever it is, you're banking on the likelihood of your hope coming through. But with the God of hope, it's different. You're banking on his promises. You're banking on the promise that God himself has made. And as I said, in the book of Titus, the same writer, the apostle Paul says, this is a God who cannot lie. Right now think about the implications of that. If God could lie, he wouldn't be perfect in every way. Therefore, he would not be the God of the Bible. He cannot lie. He never would lie, and he cannot lie, and he has the power to come through with all of his promises. When he promises to do things, they are going to happen. Might not be in your timing, but they're going to happen. And so these promises that he's placed over your life, that he's spoken over you through his word, these things are going to happen. His son will return. You really are not condemned in Christ Jesus. You really are forgiven and cleansed. You really will be made new. You really will receive a reconciled, fully redeemed and resurrected body. This will happen. These are his promises that you can hope in. So our hope is not based on probabilities. Right? We're not saying, well, I hope if Jesus wins the final battle, yeah, I hope so. No. These will come to pass. Paul says, may the God of hope, may the one who authors it, may the one who sourced it, may the origin of hope, may this God of hope, may he do something. And what does he say? May the God of hope fill you. And that's a great word there. May he fill you. May it just become, may it begins to come up and well up in you and overflow. You've probably had these moments, right, where uh, some emotion sort of fills you. Uh, more often than not, it's not an emotion we prefer, right? Anger tends to be the one for me. It fills me and it overflows into my family and I don't like that. But there are other times when I've had joy absolutely overflow out of me or peace or hope, right? And, and here he's getting at that. May this come up in you and overflow. What is he talking about? Joy and peace, right? Now, we're going to get to this in a few weeks, joy and peace and love. But when Paul talks about joy, which he uses more than any other author in the New Testament, 21 times the Apostle Paul is going to speak of joy as a mark of the Christian, right? I think about that and I go, uh-oh, <laughs> I hope that's a mark of my life. 
When people think of me, they think joyful Jeff, right? Um, He's talking about an inward satisfaction of your soul that sort of wells up with delight in knowing the truth that he is my God and I am his son, I am his daughter. And so this joy, this inward satisfaction of soul, it's different than superficial realities that most of us deal with in our day-to-day life. And it's coupled with what the apostle calls peace. He's making a, a coupling of words here, joy and peace together. And so he's praying that the people of God would be filled with joy and peace. And those two things work together. And peace, he's not talking about satisfaction. He's talking more about a settledness of soul, that you're, you're settled, that there's peace. There's a rest, there's a contentment, an ease of soul that comes through the work of the Spirit. In many church traditions, when you greet one another, right, you say, peace be with you, and they would say, and also with you. And this is what you're talking about. The peace of God where you used to be enemies and you're no longer enemies. And so Charles Spurgeon says this about this verse, and I like this, peace is resting joy, joy is dancing peace. Joy cries, Hosanna before the well-beloved, but peace leans her head on his bosom. We work with joy and we rest with peace. Leon Morris, who is a New Testament scholar from Australia, he goes on and he describes it like this interplay between the two. He says, joy relates to the delight of anticipation and seeing one's hopes fulfilled, and peace results from the assurance, assurance that God will fulfill those hopes. So joy and peace are working together. And it's important at this point to stop and remember what Paul is talking about here. What's he getting at here? He's not talking about your personality type, right? What he's talking about here is the fruit of the Spirit. He's summarizing the fruit of the Spirit. What he's praying is that the God of hope would fill you with the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit at work in your life. Galatians 5 is where Paul lays it out. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, right? You might know the list. And so what Paul is praying and asking for here in Romans is that you and I would be filled up with the evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. A summary of the entire list of the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. And so to be filled up with this. Again, he says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. And so here you see this sort of interplay of the working between God and you. What's the relationship between God's work and our work? Well, it's in that phrase, in believing. And so what he's saying is if you follow the thread through the book of Romans, is that in believing means that you've placed your love, your trust, your allegiance, you have placed your confidence and your faith in the one who was sent to redeem and reconcile you. If you didn't know it, you need to be reconciled to God. You are at enmity with God from birth. But God has made a way to to bring you back and to reconcile you. And and so Paul wants to make sure that you've placed your hope in the one who has done that, namely Jesus, who this season and every Sunday is all about. And so what Paul's been arguing kind of all the way through the book of Romans is although we were condemned, God made a way where there was no way. How, How did he do that? Well, he does it through his son. And in Advent, in Christmas, we celebrate the incarnation God becoming flesh. I think that's a more mind-boggling miracle for me than the resurrection. Both of them are mind-boggling. But God becoming his creation. Literally, the word incarnation means into the meat, into flesh. 
This is how God makes a way. Although we were condemned, we were without hope. God himself sent his son to reconcile lost sinners, right? Even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He doesn't wait for you to clean yourself up. And so this phrase, in believing, is you and me putting our belief, putting our trust, putting our confidence, our allegiance, our hope in Jesus, who has done the work to reconcile us, the one who has died in our place and been raised to new life. And Paul says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. He's saying, saying, so as you believe on the one in whom I sent, God is saying, as you believe on the one who died on the cross for your sins, as you believe on the one who rose from the dead, who filled you with his spirit, gave you new life, and as you place your love and your trust in Jesus continually as you walk this life out, the spirit is at work inside of you, producing the fruit of love, joy, and peace. And and then he goes on in Romans, Paul, and says, so that. So now he's going to make a turn here. And he's going he's gonna to outline the why behind the what, right? He, he's going to say, this is why I want this for you. This is why I'm praying you would be filled with joy and peace. Why? So that by the Holy Spirit, by his power at work in us, you can abound in hope. So this is, this is a prayer that's bookended with hope. Begins with hope and it ends with hope. May the God of hope abound you in hope. That's what he's saying, Right? So I just want you to see what Paul in this sort of beautiful one-liner of a prayer is showing us. The God of hope is longing for us to abound in hope. Think about what that means. That means God's desire is for you to be like him. That's what he wants. The God of hope wants you to abound in hope. But how does this happen? Well, it's, it's, it's this cyclical nature of what's What's going on here? He's saying, I'm praying you'd be filled with the fruit of the Spirit. And as you're filled with the fruit of the Spirit, an inward satisfaction, an inward settleness of soul, love, and, and or joy and peace will happen. And I pray it continues in you. It, it produces in you a growing desire and a hope in the Lord. And as you have a growing desire and an abundance of hope in the Lord, it's producing in you more evidence of the fruit of the Spirit. It's like the sanctification snowball. It just keeps going if you stay with it in believing. As you desire to see the Spirit work in your heart more and more, and as the fruit of the Spirit is giving evidence of this work in your heart, more and more producing joy, producing peace, producing satisfaction, settledness of soul, that it's producing an abundance of hope. Like if you're full of joy and peace, of course you're going to be full of the right kind of hope. So these all work together. And so the good news about Jesus who supplies hope is that he's an abundant supply of it. He has plenty of it. Yesterday, I went to a breakfast with Santa. uh, And yes, we do Santa. It's okay. We went to a breakfast with Santa and Santa had this gigantic bag of um, candy canes. And I really, really wanted to go ask him for one, but I knew that wasn't like I wasn't supposed to do that. So I was fighting it the whole time, but the kids all had candy canes. I really just wanted a candy cane. But he had this gigantic bag of them. Like, he wasn't skimping on the candy canes. And they weren't the little ones either. They were the big, full-size ones. And and God is like that on an eternal scale. And don't hear me saying God is Santa Claus. It's not what I meant. Right? But how good is that for us to hear on a morning when I know that everyone who walked in this room, those of you who are joining us online, you all need more hope. We can all use more hope, right? Right? 
There's not one of us who doesn't need it. And so the good news for us, for you and for me, hear this, is that God has hope for you, not skimpy rations of hope. No, he's got lavish, abundant supply of hope. And so as hope grows in you and wells up in you and spreads out from you, he's got more for you. As hope is small in you and shriveled in you and you feel like you're parched without it, he's saying, no, I've got hope for you. I have it for you. I'm both the source, I'm the supply, and my supply is abundant. My supply is abounding. And so the Apostle Paul prays this prayer for his people. And it's a prayer for you and for me as well. It's a benediction. It's a prayer that that I hope we would pray for one another as well as we go on with the season of Advent and even after that, that the God of hope would fill us with joy and peace in believing so that we can abound in hope by the power of his spirit as we walk in real time towards the Christmas story and as we walk in real time towards the coming of the king who's going to set up his kingdom in which we place all of our hope. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for uh, this morning. We thank you for your word to us that can bring us hope and love and joy and peace because it points us to you. Jesus, we know that ultimately all the scriptures are about you. They're not about themselves. They're about you. That all these practices and everything that we do is to get us to you. Father, would you help us not to make the means an end, but to keep Jesus our end. All these things we do together are good and they're beautiful, but if they get in the way of coming after you, then Lord, help us to to find a different way. Help us to follow Jesus as we're filled with your spirit. And would this prayer be true of us, that we would abound in hope as we continue believing and continue walking with you, as we seek to be a people of love, joy, and peace, because we know that's who you are and you want us to be in your image, that you're conforming us to the image of your son day by day, glory by glory, and moment by moment. So we ask you to bless us as we go out from here, as we Uh, Spend the next few minutes just greeting one another and being with one another that uh, you bless that time and that it would be a demonstration of the the love, joy, and peace that we share because of what Jesus has done for us. And we pray all this in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen.